Sounds like a good idea. What? Are you ever allowed to make things up? Like, how would that be it's a requirement to make things up? You mean explanation? I will explain. One of the requirements in the study of Torah is you have to come up with your own ideas. Now, there's some technical rules to that, which is that you're not allowed to come up with your own ideas if you're ignorant of what's already been said before you. you see all the books? Have you ever read them all? You should be coming up with your own ideas? No. no. But in principle, once you read all the books, then you're supposed to come up with your own ideas. That's how it works. That's how we get more books. They read. Right? You take all, take all the books from the previous generation, you put them in the brains of the Jews of this generation, and what do you get out? New books. New books. Okay. That's how Torah works. The exception to that is Kabbalah. In Kabbalah, you're not allowed to make anything up. No new ideas. In fact, that is one of the meanings of the word Kabbalah, which means to receive. You have to receive the knowledge. Um, which makes it you know, a little bit difficult, considering it's actually forbidden to teach Kabbalah. Wait, what? I thought you were supposed to have a mentor. So the way, the way it's codified in the Mishnah is that you're, you can teach Kabbalah to one person at a time as long as you don't need to explain it to them. Mm. No question. So you're allowed to basically like give them the main points and then they're supposed to be able to like get it on their own. But if they need you to explain it to them, then you shouldn't be teaching it to them. So I think we're done, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. No, Really, what we have to do is we have to back up a little bit. There's Kabbalah in and of itself, the, the essence of Kabbalah. And then there's kind of its different manifestations. Right? Um, there are three manifestations of Kabbalah. We're going to look back. We're going to talk about the three manifestations of Kabbalah. Manifestation is the way, it's, the way it presents itself, the way it's interacted with, the way it's experienced. And then we'll come back to what Kabbalah actually is. We're going to start with the most um, exotic, which is known as practical Kabbalah. This is stuff like ambulance, and, you know, face reading, and palm reading, and you know, looking at somebody's forehead and knowing what sins they did. Stuff like that. And you know, you can't seem to get a job, and you go to a Kabbalist, they write you an amulet with some weird combination of Hebrew letters, and they tell you to wear it at all times, and then magically you get your dream job. That's called practical Kabbalah. <laughs> Palm reading? Palm reading. What is that, like telling the future kind of? I don't know what they read from the palm, I just know that there's stuff you can read off the palm. And you're not allowed to do that? You're not allowed to do it. Well, who said it's Kabbalah? I could do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't know your part. How do you know? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you know how to read Braille. 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 Okay.
know how to read Braille and read their finger over like, and start like you know, reciting Moby Dick by heart and then convince everybody that they can read Braille, right? That doesn't take away the fact that there are actually people in the world who can read Braille, right? Okay, so the fact that someone can look at your hand and say, ooh, I see, and then make stuff up, and even be so deluded to think that they're actually seeing stuff, doesn't mean that there aren't people who can't actually do it. I don't know what they see, I don't know how it works, but that is part of Kabbalah. They can read it off your hand, they can see it in your eyes, they can see stuff on your forehead, I don't know. They make little ambulant magical things. Um, there's a, you know, you kiddish cups with like weird letter combinations inscribed on the inside, all sorts of cool stuff. Yes? Red strings, actually, no, that's just a myth. But you know, there are people who like, you know, make a decent amount of money getting like a shekel per string. Mm -hmm. so if you think about the cost... Some people start to sell the tens. Yes. Okay, my, I just want to make sure if this is Kabbalah or not. So my sister saw a nutritionist and literally touched her finger and was like, you're allergic to cheese. No. <laughs> no, but like, no, it's not Kabbalah. No, but like she's actually allergic to cheese. That doesn't make Lucky Kabbalah. Lucky chance. But like, Chinese medicine, like there's other things. That doesn't make Kabbalah. Um, Remember, I didn't tell you what Kabbalah is. I just said this is one of the things Whatever Kabbalah is, one of the things that you can do with it is all this kind of stuff. It's like, let me give you an example. You ever been on an airplane? Yeah. Okay. We all got here. Now. I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever been here? Maybe took a boat. Maybe took a camel. Okay. Now. Now, the airplane you were on probably was propelled by a jet engine, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Are there other ways to get an airplane to fly? Yeah. Use a propeller engine. What? I really hate flying, but that's okay. So I'll use a different analogy then. No, it's okay. It's okay. Why well, don't you do the analogy? Okay. <laughs> okay. You've all ridden a car. Yes. You don't drive cars, right? No. <laughs> no. I don't drink before. Only fair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink before. Okay. So, you could have an electric car. You could have a hybrid car. You could have a, you know, regular combustion engine. For that matter, you could have the original car, which was, you know, was run by, by actual horsepower. Right? The thing that you know gets the, the cart to move along the road is one question, and the fact that it's moving is another question. Right? So the fact that somebody is able to accomplish something with some powers you don't understand doesn't mean that all are using the same powers. Right? You can see this car moving, and if you don't know anything about cars, you say, okay, well, there's, there's something moving it. I don't know if it's a, there's a little horse inside, or, or there's a combustion engine, or there's an electric motor, I don't know. Right? So the fact that people do weird stuff with palm reading or touching and knowing the future doesn't make it Kabbalah. I'm just saying one of the things that Kabbalah can do is it can do those things. Okay. As a general rule, though, the Kabbalists don't like it when people do that. Yes? Aren't amulets No. They can be. Um, it depends what the person's what it depends what the person who makes the amulet had in mind when they make it. So the person using the amulet is going to be considered like something <laughs> so special. That's not idolatry. There's a there's a there's a there's there's halachic idolatry, like the actual what Jewish law prohibits, and then there's like things that give people the heebie-jeebies and they make people feel uncomfortable. Ascribing mystical powers to something in and of itself is not idolatry in Jewish law. Um, 
the fact that many people um, relate to um, relate to uh, amulets or relate to know, strings or relate to these kinds of things, ascribe them powers, um, and that makes other people feel like that's not that's separating them from Hashem. They're not paying enough attention to Hashem. That's an interesting debate in, in, in uh, Jewish ethics and theology, but in that of Jewish law, unless you actually think that the thing is a god, or is channeling a god, um, or you are practicing something which is classified locally as magic or sorcery, which is different than Kabbalah, and what the differences are, some interesting discussions, then it's not forbidden. Now, there have been people who made amulets, and there was, there was a very famous case um, that actually tore the Ashkenazi Jewish world apart in the early 1700s of a famous rabbi who was making amulets, another rabbi accusing him of putting heretical ideas and, into his amulets, and that was a big controversy. But no one had the idea that amulets per se are problematic. It's what's the content, what's the mindset of the person who's making them. Okay, so that's practical Kabbalah. How do you make one? I don't know. I'm not a capitalist. But like, what? What a capitalist? I don't know. Like a hamster? I don't know. Or like, you know. Yeah. What's yeah. What? What's, what's the deal I don't with know. I'm not a capitalist. So you heard of the lead thing where they pour lead in a tray? Is that like Kabbalah too? I want you to say that. I'm not a Kabbalist. Okay. <laughs> I just know there's this whole area of practical Kabbalah, and I also know that the, most of the Kabbalists say that as a general rule you should stay away from it, because as a general rule. Um, most people that are pretending to practice it are charlatans, and most people that are doing the real deal um, are going to be very, very selective of when it's appropriate to start messing around with this kind of stuff. And I'm not a Kabbalist, so I don't know. For like, practical halakha specifically, not other forms. Practical halakha. Practical halakha. Practical halakha is good for everybody. Sorry, sorry. I meant to say kabbalah. Kabbalah, yes. Okay. Um, you've heard of the Baal Shem Tov? Yeah. So the Baal Shem Tov, you know why it was called the Baal Shem Tov? Uh, yes. Wait, we learned this. Um, yeah, okay. Because he... he did practical Kabbalah. Yeah. That's what a Baal Shem is. A Baal Shem is the, is the name that was given in Europe to people who did it. Made practical, practical Kabbalah, made amulets with divine names and stuff. Anyway, so that's one aspect or one manifestation of Kabbalah. Then there's another one, which is the... Um, meditative Kabbalah. And this is the idea that you engage in meditative practices and through meditating in these different practices you eventually achieve some kind of prophecy. And you can atone for people's sins and cleanse their souls and all sorts of cool stuff like this. Do we have writings of the Arizal here? Probably not. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So now, um, if you look in a sitter, and almost every sitter has this, there are a few that don't, but almost every version has it. There's different customs as to where it goes. But, you ever see this? They've got a bunch of little weird Hebrew letters here. Yeah, so if you're a Kabbalist, what you do is you look at those letters, and you chain some sort of like prophetic experience. Every work? time you read that? It, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a Kabbalist. No, yeah. 
And so, and then there's like whole books of like what you're supposed to think about and imagine, and it ends up revealing divine secrets to you. And you can also like cleanse people's souls. And in fact, there's, there's a, one of one of the meditations is like a whole page of like what to me seems like just random Hebrew letters that you're supposed to meditate on um, that cleanses the soul of a sinner. Um, and so, does the sinner have to do it, or can someone else do it on their behalf? Someone else can do it on their behalf. And so the person sits there and like imagines the different letters, and I don't know, and somehow like they change some kind of prophetic thing and enter their soul and start fixing up their soul, and that's a whole another aspect of Kabbalah. Yeah. So if you are a Kabbalist, then can you be, be like a creature? You become a prophet? Yeah. In other words, to really be a Kabbalist requires being a prophet. Yeah. It's a kind of prophecy. So why prophecy comes in different forms and levels of it. That is a kind of prophecy. So to, which, in other words, the the meditative practice of Kabbalah um, is supposed to by thinking about the different letters and combinations and the shapes of the letters and the divine names and focusing on different, you know, um, spiritual concepts as you're doing mitzvahs is supposed to give you some kinds of different states of prophecy. Yeah. No, they don't create new ideas. They might receive a new idea. The difference is that if I tell you something, right, you didn't come up with it, you just received it. No, no, no. This is this is where this is where we we move now to the third kind of Kabbalah, which is like this. The third kind of Kabbalah, and this is the Kabbalah that most people um, encounter, is the philosophical kind of Kabbalah. The philosophical Kabbalah is where Kabbalists take um, the Kabbalah and they put it into words um, and concepts that non-Kabbalists can understand in order to help them have a better understanding of the of how Judaism works. Put what into words? The Kabbalah. So they take this thing called, well, no one knows what Kabbalah is yet. We haven't said what it actually is. But a Kabbalist can take the Kabbalah that they have and package it in concepts and analogies that a non-Kabbalist could relate to. And then those can then be used to help explain and make sense of things that are hard to understand in Judaism. Yes? How is that different from teaching Kabbalah? Because you don't actually get Kabbalah that way. What you get, it's like a shadow of Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. If I'm standing here and my shadow's on the floor, it's true that there is some kind of correlation between the shadow and me, but the shadow can't teach a class. The shadow's two-dimensional, right? The shadow doesn't have desires. I mean, the shadow's not me. But it's kind of the same shape as me. Mm -hmm. And so when the Kabbalist takes the Kabbalistic truth that they have, and then they try and find concepts and analogies from the regular human experience to convey that, they're not actually giving the person Kabbalah, they're giving them a shadow of Kabbalah, they're giving them something that kind of is just the periphery of the Kabbalah, and those things, the benefits of that is that often helps make sense of things that are very hard to understand in Judaism. The most famous thing that's hard to make sense of is how we describe God like a person. And the Kabbalists can take Kabbalistic truth that they have, and find a way of at least outlining it 
without giving over the substance of it to people, and those ideas can help serve to solve these philosophical and theological issues. Okay. Which means what Kabbalah actually is. Okay, so there's, there's manipulating divine names and making amulets. There's meditating on the Hebrew letters and the Torah and the mitzvahs to achieve some kind of prophetic states. And then there is finding ways of representing Kabbalah in something else so that people can at least gain, gain a little bit from its wisdom. But what is Kabbalah actually itself? Kabbalah means that the person experiences godliness. That's what Kabbalah is. They actually ex they have an encounter with godliness directly. Like a piece of godliness? Well, it depends on the capitalist. So a capitalist is experienced. A capitalist has to experience godliness. So, so I have a question then. Just one second. So when Mishnah says that you only teach this stuff to someone who doesn't need to be taught, they're not talking about what I'm going to start telling you about, like philosophical <coughs> things. I can tell you that. It's not like giving you Kabbalah. They're not talking about making, you know, the, the, the rule books for making amulets. Like, you can just teach that. So, but I mean, if they're not a Kabbalist, they could make the amulets and do anything. But to teach somebody how to have that kind of an encounter with God directly, either they have they're cut out for it and they just need a pointer or two, or they're not cut out for it and you're wasting your time. Um, and in the, in the Talmudic era, this was very, very, um, very few sages are actually able to do this. And what's described that one of the sages um, um, asked his teacher, can you teach me some Kabbalah? He said, well, you know, you can't like, teach you Kabbalah unless you already know Kabbalah. Right? So really, if they already have that kind of sensitivity, they have a direct encounter with God. So he says, well, I do know Kabbalah. And he went on, then the student went on to share something he knew. And the, and the, the, the Talmud describes how like, they actually had these visions and experiences as a result of explaining it. I'll give you another story. Um, the Maggid of Mizritch, the successor of the Baal Shem Tov, when he first came to the Baal Shem Tov, um, one of the things that changed his mind about the Baal Shem Tov, he was actually an antagonist of the Baal Shem Tov, was that when the Baal Shem Tov read texts of the Kabbalah to him, the Magad of Mezrich all of a sudden started to experience what was being described in those books. Okay. So uh, the uh, actual Kabbalist is in touch with a different sense. Let me put this in other words. We have five senses. Okay? People say we have more than that. We, we have five senses in the sense that, the sense that we can get information about the world outside of us, the physical world, right? So if you think about, like, say, that flower over there, I can see the flower, I can go over and touch the flower, I can hear the flower because like, it rustles in the wind, um, I can smell the flower, and I can taste the flower. That's it. That's the only way I can get anything out of the flower in the physical sense. Now, I have another way of relating to the flower. What's that? What? How do you do that? Like, let's run through this. The flower just makes up. The, let's say the flower smells sweet, and it uh, smooth, feels smooth, and it looks pink, um, it tastes bitter, um, and it, it's pretty, you know, right now it's quiet, but if it's moving in the wind, it has a small rustling sound, right? Those are different qualities that you pick up with different senses. What else about the flower can I get that's not sight, sound, taste? Like in real life, without like pretending that we're holding what do you mean? Really like you can understand like how that flower gets from another flower? Right. I can conceptualize the flower. I can abstract the flower. I can have a concept of the flower. And then I can compare and contrast that concept 
with other things, I can put it in context with other concepts. So that, so I have one other way of relating, of, of getting something from the flower, and that's a non-physical thing, which is abstraction, to use the intellect, our cognition form. That's why if I say, for instance, I'm thinking of a flower, you all have a concept of a flower already in your head. Like the word represents a concept, you have that concept. You don't necessarily know, say, if I tell you, I choose tree, because I already use flower. If I tell you that I'm thinking of a tree, what do you know about what I'm thinking about? All trees have leaves. Maybe it's the winter. Okay. Branches. Such as? Like root. It's rooted. It has bark. Branches. Branches. So you have a concept of tree, even though like you're not reading my thoughts, right? Because you're presuming that your concept and my concept are the same. Okay. Do we have any other way of of getting information, for lack of words, about reality. And there's other things we can experience. We experience desire and feeling and hopes and dreams and blah, blah, blah. But those are more about ourselves. I'm saying experiencing things that are not ourselves. Intuition. What's intuition? Like a feeling or like, I don't know, a thought that comes into your mind that turns out to be like true in the future. I'm not sure what you mean. Thought comes into your mind that turns out to be true. I don't know, like it's not many prophecy. You don't have many prophecy. <laughs> you mean like you 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 have this? Like you think you're gonna see you like suddenly out of the blue remember about someone from like ten years ago and then you see them or you dream something and then it happens the next day. That's interesting. Okay. So, but whatever, but 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 whatever information you're getting fits into one of those six categories. Okay. You see what I'm saying? In other words, it's still what you think you're going to see someone or hear something or like you encounter a known concept of it. Or like person. feeling like feeling like this is bad. I should leave. Like that's. Yeah, but that's again. That, um, that's you. I want to talk about the world that's not you. Okay. Yeah. So things like oh, in what I should do, what I shouldn't do, what's right and what's wrong. Um, what's, you know, th those are those are one put in a whole separate category. There's a whole another because when you start saying senses that are that are that are um, oriented back towards your own existence, then you have like much more than just the, the, those six. Okay. Okay. But if you say like everything else, either either I'm relating to what my eyes can pick up on, my ears pick up, my my nose, my tongue, my fingertips, or my ability to abstract. Now, how that all gets processed is not always so direct, which I think is what you mean by intuition. It could be that that gets processed in very interesting ways, and all of a sudden conclusions show up in my mind. I don't really realize how that all happened. But this, the kind of information I'm getting about the world fits into one of those six things. Okay. Yeah? Sometimes you see something, you see the consequences of something, and then you're going to figure out what happened. So you're going to be experiencing, like, conceptualizing what happened through what is. Right. Right. That's part of reason. One of the things that reason does is, it, is, it, is that it puts things in context, and one of the main contexts it uses is causality, which means if this is the way it is, what would have to be true to make it be that way? So it still goes into the abstraction. You're not going to come up with a sixth thing, a seventh thing. Now let's imagine for a second that somebody were blind, God forbid. Would they be able to have any sense of the difference between red and blue? 
They were blind from birth. They never experienced sight at all. No. no. So what if someone was deaf from birth and didn't have any like implants that bypassed that? Um, would they be able to understand the role that music plays in a film? It's actually an interview with someone who was deaf and then got like implants. And he said for the longest time he was watching movies and he thought movies were just like boringly long. <laughs> because there's all these like, you don't realize this because there's music in the movie, but if you don't hear the music, there's like these like 15 seconds and 20 seconds where nothing happens, where the uh -huh. music is like affecting you and setting a mood, but like he doesn't see the music, he doesn't hear the music. And like, so there's nothing's happening for 15 seconds. And then all of a sudden like he could hear music. And I was like, oh, yeah, so now I get it. Yeah. It depends on the kind of deafness. Right? If, if there's no hearing whatsoever, there's different people have gone deaf. People, you know, there's, there's, it depends exactly what the problem. Also, seeing, right? Not all blind is the same. Right? But the, the point of these things is that if there's information about reality that's only be able to you can only pick up through one kind of sense organ, right? And the same thing is true, by the way, when you talk about the abstractions. Um, if you have an intellect, which we all do, by virtue of being people, then we relate, we pick up on the abstract notions and concepts like trees, um, chairs, <coughs> concepts like should and must and because. Like we, 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 those are things we take into our experience of reality because we have intellect, just like we have eyes, we take in the way things look, we have ears, we take up the way things hear, the way things sound. Cabalists have a seventh sense. Yeah, they have a soul. They sense directly with their soul. And therefore, I can't tell you what they pick up on. Right? If you have a blind person teaching a bunch of blind people right, about colors, and they've all been blind from birth, how well is that class going to go? <laughs> I mean, you could get like some rudimentary thing. I mean, you could like say, well, you see, colors, they're kind of like, you know, like, like some things when you touch them, they're really hot, and something when you touch them, they're really cold. So there's this other thing which kind of gives people the sense that something's really hot or really cold. And um, you know the water, it's like wet? Well, there's apparently something about the water that when you like experience the water in a certain way, it kind of is like, look, it's like experiencing the sky, but the sky isn't wet. Mm. You're both blue. I'm very confusing. It's very confusing. I, I once heard a blind person describing color most of what people told him. He was very confused. Like, I don't understand like what the sky has to do with water. Mm. And is an orange orange? Like, what is, like, you know, I mean, not oranges, he eats oranges, right? But what does that have to do with when they say that that other thing is orange? Like, what, what's, which orangey about the other orange things? It's very confusing, right? They can just repeat words without understanding what they, what's going on. And if all of us are stuck with only having six ways of perceiving reality. But don't they see black? Why do people? It depends on kind of blindness. How can you even, um, like, in it depends what kind of blindness, like how would you know? They don't. That's what's so funny. Yeah. It's like, they're just, like, they, they trust that people aren't making this stuff up, but they have no idea. He's like, I have no idea what these words mean. Like, the sentences don't make any sense to me. Like, he can't for the life of figure out what is the same about the sky and the sea. Yeah. Um, so, there is this other thing called godliness. And you can pick it up through this other sense, we'll call it a soul sense. And Kabbalists pick up on it. They experience it. And because they pick up on it, 
they can manipulate the world differently. Let's think about this for a second. If you can see, are there things you can do that blind people cannot do? Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of stuff, by the way, that blind people can do. We just don't let them. Can you like riding bicycles. Oh. Yeah. But where are they going to rock to? Wherever they want to go. Stationary. No. No, we don't. I met someone who Blind people can compensate very much for lack yeah. of sight, but there are things they still cannot do. Okay. Yeah. So on your last statement that they can manipulate the world, like, and you said before that they're capable of cleaning our souls and removing our sins even remotely from us, like, why don't they just do that and bring Mashiach already? Well, let me let me give you an analogy. Are there? I am capable of, of wielding knives. I hands. So are surgeons, right? Okay. Two things. Number one, do you want me cutting you, or a surgeon cutting you? If you need to be cut open for surgery. Surgeon. <laughs> surgeon, not me. Why? Just because I have access to the knife and I can manipulate the knife doesn't mean that I have the training. So number one, not all cavalists are good at it. Oh. Right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you're good at what you're doing. Okay. That's number one. Number two, just because a surgeon can operate doesn't necessarily mean that there is a successful kind of operation to be done. Right? Certain things, like say I'm sick, surgeon operate, the surgeon's like, well, there's nothing, a surgery won't help you here. Like, I could cut you open and put you back together, but, like, that's not going to help things. So when it comes to Mashiach, Mashiach is the kind of thing that, like, cleansing sins and Kabbalistically working through our souls doesn't actually cause Mashiach to come. Okay. It's like trying to heal someone with diabetes by giving them a surgery. Okay. It doesn't work. Plus, not all Kabbalists are good at it. And if you get, like, one of those, like, you know, they... Why would they not be good at it if, like, they well, have... Because, because what, what I want you to understand is what makes the Kabbalists the Kabbalists is they have this access to this whole other aspect of reality. Just because I, I have hands, so I can pick up knives, right? But someone who's, God forbid, a paraplegic can't pick up a knife and use it, right? But that doesn't make me a surgeon. It just means I have access to knives and I could use them. But I probably should just cut onions in the kitchen and that's about it. Right? Just because you have the soul sense and you know how to you, you know how to make an amulet doesn't mean you're going to do a good job of making an amulet and you might actually ruin someone's life more than helping them. I see. So not all capitalists, you know, are... Why are, didn't the big one, like, the Balsham or whatever, like, why didn't they do it? They did. Oh, bring Mashiach, you can't capitalistically bring Mashiach. Okay. It's just like a surgeon can't surgically heal diabetes. Okay. But, in terms of other stuff, the Balsham Tov did stuff all the time. Okay, so if, if, if you have access to one of these senses and some other people don't, you can do things in the world. You can experience the world in ways that other people can't, right? And that gives you um, a fuller picture of things. But you can't just take that and then hand it over to the people who don't have that sense. Yeah? Imagine everybody was blind, so how... Kabbalists actually have the words to describe what they see because it's not seen or felt by anyone else. So how can they, like they created their own words to speak in between themselves? So, right, so when the Kabbalists are really, the, the, then what the Kabbalists are, so the Kabbalists are really doing is that they're using words, when the Kabbalists themselves speak themselves, they're using words in a way that's very different from us. And they can teach us what it means, but it becomes like a code and then we don't really get it. So I'll give you an example, okay? Okay. Um, 
Have you ever read the Chumash? And there's some verses there that just sound like weird, yeah. like mm-hmm. unnecessary and complicated. And, like who cares? Well, when a Kabbalist reads the Chumash, it all makes perfect sense, because, like, when it says like, um, when it when it when it says um, that, um, say, Avram, like, there's a story in the Chumash which is a weird story that Avram and the, it has this fight with the Pelishtim, with the Philistines, about some wells, and then they stuff up the wells like a weird story. The Kabbalist that makes perfect sense because like. Avraham is the word for this dimension of godliness, and you know the Philistines are for this dimension of godliness, and Wells is this and that. That makes perfect sense. I'm reading like, this some weird story about people arguing about Wells. Like, why is this in the Chumash? And and so if you have two cavalers sitting and talking, and you and you're like listening, it'll sound like it sound like either talking about nonsense or they're saying sentences which might be grammatically correct, but don't say anything. like for instance. Um, and then the, is my favorite Kabbalistic sentences. The feet of Leah penetrate the head of Rachel. Uh, you know who Leah was, her foremother? Yeah. Okay, so that's also some Kabbalistic thing. And did Rachel know her foremothers? And apparently, Kabbalistically, Leah's feet penetrate Rachel's head. So because they represent different things? No, because those words actually to them mean those things. They mean different they, representations. They mean those things, right? So it's like, if, it, it's like, is it's that the actual it's like it, 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 when I was a kid, they had this joke, um, which is that you have a hole in your cup. And the reason why this is funny is that if you speak Yiddish, what is a cup? A head. A head. And if you speak English, what's a cup? A cup. A cup, right. So then you have a hole in your cup, and it's like, ah. I may send a sentence in English, but I meant cup in Yiddish. And when you're like 60, you think this is very funny, right? <laughs> but it's not funny. It's just realizing that the same word means two totally different things to different people, right? And so basically, even though the Kabbalists might be reading the same Chumash and reading the same Gemara, it's not... I'll tell you a story. The, the Rebbe's father was a Kabbalist and quite open about it. And one time he comes to Yeshiva and he sees the, the students, they're learning the laws of salt and meat. The Jewish law, you have to salt the meat to kick the blood because we're not allowed to eat blood. Long story. And so he asked them what they're learning since so it's a dispute between the two great halachic authorities, Beis Yosef, the Sephardic authority of the Shulchan Aruch, and the Ramah, the Ashkenazic authority in the Shulchan Aruch. And they're debating this issue about some procedure of salting the meat. And then he asked them, standard follow-up question, okay, well, what's each one's rationale? Why did each one, you know, make the ruling that they do? And they explained the logic of the Beis Yosef and then the logic of the Ramah. And then he asked, yeah, but why do they rule the way they do? And the students don't understand it. I mean, why do they rule the way we just explained to you the logic of, you know, this is the issue, and there's two ways of looking at this legal principle, and that's what the dispute is. And so the Rebbe's father says, well, what I mean is, why didn't the Beis Yosef say what the Ramah said, and the Ramah said what the Beis Yosef said? Like, why, why did they pick those views? I understand why you're telling me there's two sides of the issue, but why did this halachic authority rule this way? Why did that one rule the other? Why didn't they switch? So it's like, what do you mean? Like, how are you supposed to answer that question? It's like, why do you have your opinions and not my opinions and I don't have your opinions? Like, how are you supposed to answer that? And so they kind of like give him this look like, okay, you tell us. So, he, the Rebbe's father goes on to explain uh, what meat means in Kabbalah, what salt means in Kabbalah, what blood means in Kabbalah, and what the Beis Yosef means in Kabbalah, and what the Ramah means in Kabbalah, and therefore the different ways that these different aspects of godliness fit together necessarily requires that this halachic ruling be like the Ramah, and that one be like the Beis Yosef. 
And the students are like, we didn't get any of that. You just like put words together that sound basically as sensical as the feet of Leia enter the head of Rachel. Like, and to you that made sense, to me, use the same words, it meant something else entirely. And if two cattle are actually gonna talk to each other that way, other people, it's either they sound childish or nonsensical. Other. The first one we had actually any any of his teachings was Avram Avinu. So you don't have to be Jewish to be a Kabbalist? He wasn't Jewish, though. So. He just said Let's, Adam. Not right now. Adam. 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 Not for right now. Okay. So, but one of the things the Kabbalists started doing in the Middle Ages is the Kabbalists started to approach this third thing that says, let's make a shadow. Let's find things, instead of like talking Kabbalistic language. So I'm going to do this for instance, okay? So, so the feet of Leah penetrate the head of Rachel. Yeah? Now, I don't know what that means, but I have a good analogy for it. Okay? Have you ever lost your train of thought while you were talking? Yes. And like you stop talking because you don't remember like what you're about to say. Right? So in order to talk, there has to be this some aspect of your thought has to be present in your speaking. Okay. But that aspect of thought is like the bare minimal level of thought. It doesn't like deep profound. In fact, deep profound introspective thought prevents you from speaking. There's this like barely muted minimal level of thought that needs to be present while you're speaking, and that has to be involved in your speaking, right? And then you can talk, right? So, Leia is like thought, and Rachel is like speech, and the feet of Leia are this minimal level of thinking, and the head of Rachel is your mental engagement, the speaking is the whole process, your mental engagement with speaking is called the head of it, but the person hears is the feet of it, and so your thought has, some minimal level of thought has to be present in your, in your mental engagement with speaking in order for you to keep talking. That is not what that Kabbalistic thing means at all. But that is a, when the Kabbalists looked around the world and said, okay, what's something that non-Kabbalists experience which we could use as kind of an analogy for this? They said, well, there's an interesting, complicated relationship with different mental states and how those come together in order for a person to continue talking. And that actually is kind of like the shadow of this Kabbalistic thing that we've experienced. So they use that as an analogy. And then people like you and I, and I did that by the way relatively quickly, we could spend like the rest of this class, we could actually have like a whole series of like a years long classes on that idea of levels of thought, and levels of speech, and how speech interacts with thought. And we're not actually studying Kabbalah, what are we studying? We're studying our own minds, and trying to understand what parts of our experiences are like a shadow of what the Kabbalists are experiencing. So that's not really Kabbalah. But then those ideas that come out of that can end up being used to explain problems in Judaism. Okay? So, for instance, use a simpler one now, because it should be easy to understand. Um, there's a Kabbalist, there's an aspect of godliness that Kabbalists can experience called Malchus. That's its name. I know what it's like. I never experienced Malchus. Neither have you. But. That's the one that's Does that help you? 
So one of the things that I don't want, the thing that I don't know what it is, is part of a group of things that I don't know what they are. I don't know how that like makes sense. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, I don't know, I want to place it somewhere. Place, but, but that, that's, that's exactly what I don't want you to do. I want you to realize that having words that are familiar is not the same thing as actually understanding. There's this thing called Malchus. I don't know what it is. There's a bunch of other stuff in godliness. Now, the cup contains water. Yeah? And because the cup contains water, I can drink from the cup. So Malchus contains other godliness, and because of that other like kind of like, but not in the same way, the cup contains water. And because the Malchus contains the other godliness, then the other godliness can drink from the godliness in the godliness of Malchus. Kind of like I can drink from the water because it's in a cup. See, this the, the reason why I'm making this sound intentionally cryptic, we all understand what it means. You put water in a cup, you can drink from it, right? Is godliness water? Is this other is this aspect of godliness called malchus? No, godliness is not water. Is malchus a cup? No. Am I godliness? No. So, this is not actually these analogy things are not Kabbalah. What happens is that when people read books or hear classes about Kabbalah, what they're actually being told is stuff in human experience, whether it's cups, whether it's clothing, whether it's feelings, relationships, and there are parts of those things which are like the shadow, which kind of are similar to what the Kabbalists actually experience, are being highlighted. But you never actually get to experience what the Kabbalists are experiencing. So your actual knowledge of Kabbalah is not really increasing. So it's kind of pointless. Yeah? So when they made this prohibition to learn Kabbalah, it was kind of unnecessary? When they made what? The prohibition to learn Kabbalah until you're 40 after Shaka and Tzvi? No, that was, that was, uh, that, that was, that, there was reason for that. And like, not the really issue, it's not really relevant had, now. The issue that they had with like Hasidus teaching Kabbalah is also irrelevant? Hasidus is not Kabbalah. It's a shadow. Right, but I'm no, saying so the issue that they have that Hasidus has parts of Kabbalah is not actually an issue. So, so, the the, the, it, the was against people's trying to study Kabbalah. The fact that there's a little bit of the, there's a little bit of this third kind of Kabbalah in the philosophical in Chassidus, and I mean mamish a little bit, um, is a whole discussion. But as a general rule, um, the the Arizal, the the, the, the Balshemtos, they're not like people studying Kabbalah, because at the end of the day, what Kabbalah really is is that there's a person who has a seventh sense that experiences. Now, the problem is, the problem is. If you take a book on Kabbalah, you're not actually getting Kabbalah, right? You're getting the shadow of Kabbalah, or maybe you're getting a book of meditations, you don't even know what you're doing. And let's say you're a little charismatic, A, B, maybe a little mentally unstable, um, and C, very smart. Let me give you some books on Kabbalistic meditation and Kabbalistic philosophy, and you go off in a cave somewhere, and you come back out again. You could do a lot of damage to the Jewish world. And so, you know, maybe we shouldn't allow people to do that. But not because the Kabbalah itself is dangerous, because these manifestations of Kabbalah in the wrong hands can... Yeah. And so, different eras in Jewish history, there were different levels of restrictions about how much we wanted people like being exposed to these kinds of things. Why Chassidus brings up this stuff is a topic for another time. Now, we're going to spend the rest of the class focusing 
on one specific idea in Kabbalah, or really one specific aspect of Kabbalah, and how that the Kabbalists trying to at least give us the shadow of that makes Judaism a lot of, make a lot of sense. We talk a lot about God as if God is a person. By the way, as a general rule, um, I make it a policy to speak about God as a person without justifying it, unless it's the topic of the class, because otherwise, you spend the class on explaining why you can talk about God like a person. But you read the Chumash, God spoken about like a person. You read the Gemara, God spoken about like a person. You read any work of Torah with the exception of the medieval classic Jewish philosophers, it speaks about God like he's a person. Now, is God a person? No. You sure? Yes. Okay. What's a person? That's no. See, here's the problem. You're making the assumption that you're a person. But you're not. Ouch. We are called people. Because, as the verse says, let us make an Adam that is in our form and our likeness. So now, if I make something that is in my form and in my likeness, who's the original? Me. Me. So the being a Adam or being a person, whatever it is about us that makes us a person, is actually modeled off of the original. So, so the cab is very clear. The original Adam or the original person is not you or me. The original Adam is, in fact, God. And we are like the plastic made in China version. So everything is made. That was really tricky. <laughs> right. You are like a pale imitation of a person. You're what happens if you like make a person out of like flesh and bones and blood and you know you don't get such a great person. Can that you way. say it one time about what you just said? <laughs> <laughs> no. Everything about like Adam and so so it says in the verse. It says, let us make an Adam in our form and our likeness. Ignore the, ignore the fact that it's in the plural. They are Adam. They're making an Adam in their likeness. They are well, let's, let's first. So, uh, let's first, uh, finish, and then I'll explain. So, the person that we, that we think we are, we are not the original Adam. We are not a real Adam. Whatever you want to translate Adam as, translate as person. We are a shadow of a person. Where what happens if you take the idea of an Adam and you try and make one out of bones and flesh and blood? You get like this kind of like pale imitation. It's like if you make a doll out of plastic. It's not really a person. It's a pale imitation of a person. If you make a person out of flesh and blood and you get a pale imitation of what a real person is. A real person, that's God. Other. So we're Oh, are you talking about how we're like not real? No. That's, that's a different problem. Different we'll get to that some we're other like time. Dolls. <laughs> we're like dolls. Yes. So you're like, yeah. So we could talk about, you're saying we could talk about God as, as if he's a person because if we think of us as people, that would make God the original person. Right? Okay. Just making sure, because like, if you have a flower and you have a picture of a flower, you don't call them both flowers. Okay. So here's why we need to get into some of the Hebrew. There's two words in that verse. One word is tselem. Let us make God in our, let us make man in our tselem. 
an Adam is made in the same Tselem as God. What is a Tselem? It's sometimes used for the word picture, but form is a better translation of form. Form. And the other word is Dmus. Dmusenu. Dmus is likeness. So let me give you let me give you examples of what those words mean. Okay. Can I borrow this? Yep. Can I borrow this? Are these more or less the same thing? Yeah. 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 No. Okay, right. Type of thing. Exactly. Type of thing. What is this? Water bottle. It's a water bottle. And this is? Water bottle. A blender. Right. A water yeah, it's blender. actually a blender. Yeah. A water bottle. <laughs> That's a color. Okay. We're just in a discussion of both water bottles. <laughs> <laughs> they're both water bottles. Okay. Now, do they look the same? No. 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 But if you abstract them in terms of like what they're supposed to be, you get the same basic thing, right? They have the same purpose. Right. So it, this is easier to do with, with, with artifacts, with things that are defined by purpose, like water bottles. It's harder to do this with, with uh, natural things, like say um, plants and animals, but you can do that also. The selim of something, the form of something, is what makes it be the kind of thing that it is. The purpose? It's only the purpose if it's an artifact. With a screwdriver, it sells its purpose. But with a person, it's not. For animals, for example, you have a whale or a chihuahua. Right. So their purpose is not going to help you. You're going to have to, it's a little bit trickier to. The, what makes a chihuahua a chihuahua and a whale a whale? Whatever that is, that's their seller. So they are different. They are different. Now, you can't use purpose there. You've got to use something a little more. You know, no, what makes them different? They're not the same animal. Essence is a fancy philosophical word that basically means the same thing as form. Okay. Can you just really quick? So you said, let us make an Adam. An art seller. But if that's God, how are you making God? No, no, no. First, let's get the word cell. What is a cell? Like cell, form. the form. Form, in, not in the sense of what, what shape it is, form in the sense of what makes it what it is, as opposed to being something else. Yeah. What makes a water bottle a water bottle? What makes a chihuahua a chihuahua? What makes a, what makes a person a person? That Whatever that is, okay? And for purposes of today's class, we're going to add the we're gonna add the NES. So there's the water bottle-ness mm-hmm. is the cell of water bottle. And chihuahua-ness is the cell of... Twelve and whaleness is the talum of. Okay, and dogness is the talum of. Yeah. What makes a dog a dog? It has something. It has some dogness to it. Whatever dogness is. I I don't want to get hung up on what those things are because that becomes like. Like the essence of it. The essence of it, right? Right. So the Hebrew word for essence is mahus. The Hebrew word salem is form. They basically are synonyms. Okay. They're not exactly synonyms, but they're good enough to be synonyms. So, if I'm going to make something in the form of something else, I'm making the same thing, right? If I'm going to say, let us make something in this form, what I mean is, let's make another water bottle. That's what that means. If I'm going to make something in the form of a whale, what am I going to get? A whale. Because I'm taking the essence of whale and making another one of those, right? In fact, when was the last time you ever heard of a person making someone in their image? Like a regular person. Children, right? Because you are taking, I'm a person, 
and I'm going to take what it is to be a person, the form of a person, I'm going to make more of them. Yeah? My children all have my tzelem. They don't all look like me, though. It's if you want to correlate it with, 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 with molecules, then you get that in genetics. But it's not, it doesn't work so nicely. If you, as you move from essences to genetics, you start running into some problems philosophically, but we'll set that aside. Is it like really physical? No. Or it's like no, blood, that's right. It's because the thing that makes the dogness of a dog, you know, is true of all dogs, but they look different. The whaleness of a whale is true of all whales, but they're not all the same. Right? And so the selim of something is something you can only pick up abstractly. You can't get it at by paying attention to its physicality. Yeah. Like a spiritual mold. Yeah. You can think of it like that. So if God is making an adam in his selim, then what does he have to be? He has to be an adam. That, 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 that's built into the meaning of the words. If you're saying, I'm going to make something that has the same essence as this, and the thing I'm going to make is called the water bottle, well, then this is also must be a water bottle. Why do you think our form and not my form? It's a good question, but because I can't teach everything at once, I'm going to ignore it. So the, the verse ends in Selim. It doesn't end in the word Selim. No, there is likeness. We have to get the likeness also. Which one is the verse? They're both the verse. Selim. Selim is form. Oh, it's not. It's Selim. It's both. Yeah. But that contradicts what we said about it being like a doll. Wait, 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 wait. There's another word in the verse, which is that Hashem says, let's make it in our likeness. Now, the likeness, the word dmus means like in the sense of similar to but not the same as. So, for instance, if you take a picture of a flower, is it a flower? No. It's the dmus of a flower. It is the likeness of a flower. What's Tumona is like the actual shape. Okay. The Rambam makes a big point about the fact that the word Tumona is not used there. Okay, so now, if I say I'm going to make something that is with my Tzalem, but also with my Dmus, there's kind of a tension there, because I'm saying it's the same thing as me, but it's different. But it's also different. It's the same thing as me, but it's not the, but it's not the same as me. So what that is, is like this. God is an oven. And we are an Adam. Except God's Adam isn't made of bones, isn't made of skin, doesn't have flesh. And do you think that changes the quality of this being an Adam? Like, for instance, have you ever noticed that one of the things that really puts a dampener on you know, your being an Adam is getting hit by a bus? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, the bones and the bus don't seem to go well together, right? Now, if you like drove a bus, would it could it like ram into God and like destroy his being an Adam? No. No. So apparently his being an Adam is very different than our being an Adam, because our being an Adam can be destroyed by getting hit by a bus and his cannot. So there's differences. There's the idea is that there's something about what it is to be an Adam that is set that is true of God, and that is also true of us, but with God it doesn't have all the hang-ups of having a fleshly body. And therefore, once you put it in the context of having a fleshly body, it comes out that it's more like we're like the, we're like the imitation version and not the real deal. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking we're the about knockoff. us being items, we're talking about like 
the flesh, not our soul. I, 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 it definitely involves our flesh. Okay. I didn't say it, it's not. It, it's not exclusively our flesh, but it involves our flesh. Okay. Okay. So now what this means is, what this means is, we run into a tiny problem when Kabbalists start talking. Because when a Kabbalist says, God stretched out his arm, well, actually, it says in the Chumash, when the Kabbalists read that God stretched out his arm, he means that literally. When you and I read that God stretched out his arm, what do we mean? We think of it as like a metaphor, right? And then, so you go to the Kabbalist and you say, what do you mean? You mean that's literal? He says, of course it's literal. So you mean it's like, what, God has one of these? He says, no, no, that's a metaphor. This is not an arm. This is not an arm. I mean, it's, it's like, it is an arm. It's not, it's a really bad version of arm. It's, it's kind of like the arm we're thinking of is really the metaphor. That's right. So we are. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> it depends on the what? Exactly. The reference gets completely flipped around. So, does God get angry? Yeah. Yeah. Do we get angry? No. <laughs> no. Like, I, I guess you could call it anger. It's like kind of like anger. It's like what happens if you take anger and try and have anger with neurons and blood vessels and heart rates. Like, you could have something that's kind of like anger, yeah? But real anger? We don't have real anger. We don't have real love. We don't have real seeing. We don't have real hearing. We don't have real arms. We don't have real relationships. We don't have real anything. What we have are knockoff, pale imitations, fleshly versions of those things. And so now, the Kabbalists have no problem saying that God is a person. Right? What do the Kabbalists have a problem with? Same here. Yeah, in what sense are we like a person? Now, I want to be very clear. I notice how I keep talking around what Adam and person is. I haven't actually told you what it is. Why haven't I told you what it is? Because I don't know. Because I'm not a Kabbalist. All I know is, and this is something I this is like the Shadow Kabbalah, is that instead of thinking of me as the person, and then that's an analogy for God, this is somehow a pale imitation of the real thing. And maybe if I work backwards, I can at least make some mental space for a new notion of God. And that's not Kabbalah per se, because I'm not actually experiencing this original Adam. It's like when you're talking to me, and I'm talking to you, we have a sense of each other. Kabbalists talk to other, the original other. Like they, they get, they, 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 they have direct interactions with the original other, God. We, we do not. We have indirect awareness. And they're able to stay in their body. Yeah, not always. It's a trick. You get good at it. Some of them like try and have the interactions at a distance because they're not really good at staying in their bodies. The Baal Shem Tov used to fast tremendous amount, and not, fasting doesn't just mean not eating, but like changing his whole relationship with his body so that he would be able to have direct encounters with Adam and talk to human beings at the same time without being contradicted. What do you mean not staying in your body? Like, I mean, there are people who die from this. But the Baal Shem Tov was able to like have a direct encounter of godliness and like have a casual conversation about the weather with another with a person at the same time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so you just said like we don't have real like anger, love, whatever. So right. let's say if someone loses a sense, then is that real or no? It's real on the level that we experience the world. It's not real on the level that God experiences. Like, God. So God doesn't know what it's like to be blind or deaf 
Um, that is a very, very good question. The Kabbalists have um, differing views on that matter. Because they're because depending on because the, the reason is because if you think about the idea of empathy, if I can I empathize with someone who's going through something I haven't gone through? No. Yes, you can empathize, but you can't sympathize. I can empathize um, and I can sympathize. No. Because the thing is, so here's the thing. Human beings, oh, okay, to answer your question, yeah, yeah. with a little bit, human beings have an ability to empathize with things they have not experienced. That's one of the cool things about people. That's how literature works, by the way. However, however, what? However, okay, and it's what I don't want to. However, even though you're able to empathize, empathizing with someone else's experience is never qualitatively the same as having the experience directly. So what about the person themselves? So, the, so, so the standard answer about the tablets that kind of makes everything this is like this. God can empathize with what it is like to be blind. But empathizing with what it is like to be blind does not in fact make you blind. Okay? But he still experiences blindness through someone who is blind. Now you're, yes, but, but that's like one of the novel ideas of chassidus. Okay. Novel ideas of chassidus is, is to push that all the way to what you're saying. So the Kabbalistic answer would be to say, God can empathize with blindness, but that doesn't actually mean that he's blind. And the chassidic answer is that he actually experiences the blind person's blindness along with them. That's like a whole, that's a whole nother discussion. Which is like putting them in like intimacy. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I know this is kind of like, feels like that actually, I don't know what you've been talking about this time, but like, in what ways then are we in his image or vice versa? Like, in what ways are we not? Okay, so I'll give you some examples. Okay. Now remember, the, all the examples I'll be in what way it is and what way it isn't, but then if you want me to actually describe what it's actually like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't know because... Not a catalyst. Right. It's like, if I tell you the six ways in which, you know, a food that I've never tasted is like a food that I have tasted, I still don't know what the other food is like. I just know that it is, that people have told me it is like this, it's not like that. Okay. Yes. Um, oh, when Sadiqim, the whole idea like that Sadiqim, like some people could like walk through walls and that whole idea, is that like through the capitalistic like, idea that their bodies aren't about God, but not really. Does it come into the, into this at all? It, yes, but not the route you're going. It has to do with the wall, not their bodies. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The wall yeah, isn't real. <laughs> not for <laughs> anything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I want to go through some yeah. examples of ways that we are and are not like the original. So for the sake of understanding, when you say Adam, like the original Adam, how would you translate Adam? So I actually don't think it's good to translate words that are specific to a discipline. I'll give you some examples. In halacha, there's some words you just shouldn't translate, like tefillin. Right. Just learn what they are. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're going, if you're going to study mathematics, right, just learn what an isomorphism is. Yeah. It's not helpful. If you're going, every field has words that you need paragraphs. Right. So, in fact, 
there is no translation really for Adam. What you can do is say, in what ways are we actually like an Adam, and in what ways are we a corruption and not like the Adam, and then that gives you some sense of what an Adam actually really is, and God is an Adam. He's not only an Adam, I want to point that out, that's another discussion, he's not exclusively Adam, but he's also Adam. So it's not just like body or man, or it's the right. Adam. Okay, so, yeah. Um, so I followed you up till now, but what I'm struggling to understand is that, like, if we are, you know, like, in the image of God, so therefore, like, whatever, like, this, like, cheap copy, but we also have, like, we have a soul which is... Citus. Citus. Okay. All right. The, cal- the thing is, Citus and Kabbalah are not exactly the same. Right. The Kabbalists are very fine saying, yeah, you know, you're just a cheap imitation. Uh. Only if you're, like, really like a Kabbalist, maybe you've, like, ascended beyond that point. There's a, there's a strict hierarchy in Kabbalah. And we're at the bottom. Okay. Yes. Can anyone studying everything and preparing yourself to become can become a Kabbalist, or you have something special that from birth, for example, was within you? You need something special within you, but it rarely comes without effort. So there's nothing you can you have. Think of it. Yeah. Think of it. Think of it like this. Is it true that everybody, if they put in effort, could win the Nobel Prize in physics? No, like no. Yeah, some people are just not that smart. It's <laughs> true. Right? They can they can put all the effort in the world. They're just not going to do it, right? Now, does being born really with, with the phenomenal intelligence and mathematical acumen automatically mean that a you're going to use it and b you're going to get that far with it? No. So it's like that. Last question, and I want to give you some lists of some of the things that we are like Adam and not like Adam. Last question. Yeah. Okay. I'm going back to my previous question because this, it has to do with me. So I actually have cochlear implants. So the thing is, so what you're saying is that Hashem can empathize with me, but he doesn't know what I'm going through. But then I have cochlear implants. So does he understand like how I'm able to switch back and forth? So like, I, would, I don't get that. So I would tell you like this: if you take the, you take, if you want the, the, the absolute answer to your question, in other words. Not in the context of what I'm teaching in class. The answer is very simple. Yes, God knows exactly what you're going through. But the Kabbalistic idea that I'm talking about wouldn't get you there. You need a whole other idea, which is in Chassidus. Okay? And given that idea of Chassidus, God knows exactly what you're going through. In fact, Chassidus would go so far as to say, is God, your God is going through it first, and you're going through it second. In other words, really your experiences are empathizing with God, not the other way around. God is the one needs the implants, and then you're vicariously picking up on that experience. But that's like a whole other discussion. Think about that next time when you're had a bad, having a bad day, about who's really having a bad day. Okay. <laughs> oh, by the way, that's a, that's a verse. It says that God is pained by all of our pain. So anyway. Um, fine. So some ways we're like Adam. Now this is not an exclusive list, just to give you a few things. Number one. This is ways we are like. Ways we are like, and then a few ways we are like, okay. and a few ways we're not like. And I'm, I'm intentionally not going to elaborate. And the reason is because these are things that a person has to reflect upon to start to get a sense of what they are, and maybe then they can start to create like that shadow outline of, in their mind of where what a real other might be a little bit like, even though they can't have direct sense of it. We are other. We are like other in the sense that we are integrated. We have a variety of different conflicting aspects to ourselves, and we thrive when they are all pulling in the same direction. They all complement each other. Okay, I will give you 
few examples. We are individualistic and we are social. Those pull you in opposite directions. Okay? We um, seek stability and we seek novelty. Those pull us in opposite directions. Okay? We are capable of tremendous kindness and we are capable of tremendous cruelty. And we are an Adam in as much as all of those things are actually active parts of ourselves pulling in the same direction in our lives. That, th in that sense, you know, we're an Adam. That's one thing. Can you say one of, one of the other examples? You said the kind of cruelty what was one before that. Um, stability and novelty. And you said we thrive when we work in harmony Which is a hard thing to achieve, right? But that nature of being makes us, um, is, is, in a sense in which we're like Adam. Another way we're like Adam, um, we have multiple levels of awareness of ourselves. So for instance, give you a few examples. Can you be totally engrossed in what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Can you be aware of what you're doing, like watching from above? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Can you reflect on on who you are versus who you think you ought to be. Yeah. Okay. Can you question whether you whether whether your existence is even justified? Yeah. yeah. Those are all different levels of awareness of your being that are very different from each other. We can kind of zoom in and out of ourselves to various degrees, and that's something that's also true of the original other. Okay. Another thing. Okay. We express ourselves through what we do. And that's actually a very complex idea because that means that there's an inner self, there's an outer self, so the inner self is that which I have access to and no one else. The outer self is that which everyone else has access to. So for instance, when I'm speaking, that's my, okay, um, my hopes, inner self. And what's interesting is that we express the inner self through our outer self. Right? In fact, when we fail to do that, have you ever had experiences in life where you feel like what you're doing on a day-to-day -day is like completely disconnected from your inner self? Mm -hmm. How does that feel? Not good. Not good, right? It slowly kills you. Right? And, uh, right? So the idea that we have a distinct inner and outer self that are supposed to, one is supposed to express the other, that's also something like other. Okay? Our deepest identities are relational. Who, if we're going to be able to say who am I and come up with something meaningful other than just I am who I am. What is it? If we're going to come up with an identity of who am I that really is meaningful and unique and you can articulate it, the only way we can do that is to put ourselves in relationship to others. So I am... Relational. Right. So if I want to be able to say something concrete about who am I at the, at, at the deepest possible level, that's meaningful, it's real, and it's unique to me, but it's also something I can articulate, I could say, I'm the father of my children, I'm the son of my parents, I'm the husband of my wife. Those kinds of identities really go to our core and are unique and are meaningful. Other identities, on further examination and reflection, they, they, we start to see how they're not so unique. So if a person says, I'm really into um, you know, English literature, or um, I'm a lawyer, or whatever. Those things, they're not unique to you. And you're saying this is a similarity we have with God. 
well, did you notice that when God introduces himself at Mount Sinai? I am your God. Right, yeah, God. relational, right? He says, okay, but that's putting a limit on him. So? <laughs> These are all ways in which we are like the original of them. It's not an exclusive list. I'm going to give you now a few ways in which we're not like the original of them. Yeah? So, like, just, um, so we describe ourselves to others? We identify ourselves to our relationships with others. Okay. Last, okay, so now a few things in which we are not like an other, okay? We have a tendency towards evil. The original other does not have a tendency towards evil. We are mortal. We can die. The original other can't die. can be broken. And what I mean by broken is that we can something can happen to us that makes us unable to function and we cannot fix the problem. So we can be broken physically, right? Like God forbid a person could lose a limb. We can be broken psychologically, right? And being unable to do something and not being able to 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 recover that ability is something that we can happen to us. It doesn't happen to the original other. Okay? Um Yeah, yeah, in other words, like this. In other words, like, he can, he can, he can, he can, he can be, so he can be, look, there's a difference between being hurt and having trauma. Like, like, for instance, I'll give you an example, yeah. Uh, my kid falls, and they hurt their leg. I shall use with their arm, with their arm. So the first thing I want to know, they fall, they, 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 they I want to know, is the arm broken or is the arm not broken? Why? Because if the arm is broken, we have to go to the hospital. If the arm is not broken and it hurts, then okay, it hurts. Things hurt. Right. So you have to figure out if it's broken. If it's broken, then don't use your arm, don't do anything. If it's not broken, right, it just hurts. Now you have to make a decision, which is, do you want to use it and experience the pain of using your arm once you banged it? Or would you rather avoid the pain and not use it, right? But that's a choice you can make. Right? See there's a difference here? Being pained and therefore things were being a painful thing and then choosing not to do the painful thing is not the same thing as being, what I mean by being broken. Broken means you can't, you now the choice has been taken away from you. So God cannot be broken. God cannot be broken, but he can be pained. And he might choose to abstain from doing things because they're painful and he'd rather not go through the pain. Okay. Adam and God. Doesn't matter. Remember, God says, let us make Adam. <laughs> oh, the original Adam. So, the, so the ways we are not like Adam, we can be broken, whether physically or psychologically, when we are now no longer capable of doing something that we otherwise would have been capable of doing, and we cannot fix that on our own. And that can't happen to the original Adam. The other original Adam can be hurt and might decide not to do things because now they're painful, but that's a choice being made rather than something being imposed on it. Okay. Um, and last but not least, okay, we are capable of being selfish, which means not taking others into account. But it's not saying like I am selfish, God, don't make yourself. 
What? Jealous. Jealous is not selfish. By selfish, I mean not taking others into account. When you make decisions in life, is it possible for you not to take into account how your decisions will affect others? Yes. That's not possible for the original Adam. It is it. Especially because we were talking about things like relating to the physical sense of like putting ourselves on stall, thinking about like the ability not to have selfishness. Like I don't, I don't know. Right. Everyone feels selfishness, you know. Well, it's because we're all made of, you know, flesh and bone. Yeah. We're all selfish. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Do you think that evil can exist, for example, but God is everything, so evil comes from God too? No. 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 Because there's a Hebrew simple answer is the Hebrew word. Um, um, vara, which means to make something different, something new, something that wasn't there before. And with regard to evil, the prophet says that Hashem is bayrah, he creates evil. Meaning, he's not evil. Evil is something entirely different from him that he created. No. So there's a whole question what that means, but the, the use of the word bria is an indication that it's, a, that it's not an act of an expression. In other words, if you're expressing yourself in what you do, it can't be called bria, it can't be called creating something new. Well, actually, it doesn't. It doesn't say creating man. With man, it says let us make. It uses the word see. It's a different verb. Those word, those, those differences are very important. When it says physicality, it uses the word bria. When it talks about evil, it uses the word bria. When it says man, it uses the word forming and making. Um, yeah. Is the fact that we as humans have physical desires a way in which we are not like others? So, I desires is tricky because you have to kind of take. You have to kind of, if you take something like desire and you run through my two lists, which are not exclusive, you'll see that right. some elements of desire fit into one category and some elements fit into the other category, and you'd have to strip out so those elements. Okay. Even the same desire can have elements of both. Okay. And that's why I don't like want to put desire on the list, uh -huh. because desire has, you know, desire definitely involves a sense of self to various degrees, relational, right? Those are all elements of desire, right? Right. Connection to others, right? But desire also has an element of selfishness to it. Right. The more the more we desire, often the less we are aware. Like if I ever really feel a lot of desire to be close to someone, ironically, that often makes it that I'm less aware of how I'm going to affect them. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why we tend to hurt the ones we love. Right. So the problem is, desire is such a complex thing. We have to strip it down to some more of its basic elements okay. and figure out which ones you're talking about. Thanks. Last question, and then I really have to run.